Welcome to Beatdown episode number two. We've got in the house State Commissioner Mike Deaver, Commissioner over Boxing and MMA. We also have UFC veteran and former Ultimate Fighter champion Court McGee here in the house on the couch um, at the Beatdown today. Guys, we have a great uh, episode prepared because we're going to have a special guest um, coming up. He's a former interim lightweight champion, Justin Gaethje, and he has a marquee matchup for the BMF title against Diamond Dustin Poirier coming up at UFC 291 July 29th. So can't wait to have JG, the champ, on with us. But before we get to that, um, we have some we have some work to do on the boxing side because our program is not just MMA. We got wrestling, we've got boxing, we have traditional martial arts, all combat sports. Um, and so I'm gonna put you on the spot. Fisticuffs. I'm gonna put you on the <laughs> on the spot, Commissioner Deaver and Court. You're welcome <clears throat> uh, to chime in because you were a boxer. Um, people forget about that. You actually had a uh, pro boxing, um, amateur and professional, amateur and, and pro. And then I relinquished my amateur status and could only fight professionally in MMA. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. That's part of the regulatory. Somebody should world. have said something. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you needed a lawyer back yeah. then to help advise yeah. you. I, I know one if you, uh, <laughs> if you need one. So yeah. this is the game we're going to play. Um, gentlemen, uh, I'm going to read to you some of the, the, the best fights that have taken place by the biggest names in boxing over the last, um, you know, seven or eight months, uh, and then you will pick your favorite—the one that you thought was uh, most exciting, or the one that you uh, you liked the most. So, going back to February 26th, we had um, Tommy Fury. Tommy Fury beats Jake Paul, gives Jake Paul his first uh, loss. Some people mm -hmm. don't consider that to be uh, right. quote unquote right. real yeah. boxing, but I know Jake and and have met Logan and. They're taking it seriously. It it caught a lot of attention, a lot of eyeballs, a lot of actual content created out of that. And and tell me, which your, is where all the sports. Tell are me going. your view about that, because I I personally feel like any attention to the to the sport is is good at attention. But I also can respect the perspective of some boxing purists who are like, that's not real. They, he hasn't put in his his time. Any thoughts on that, um, Court? Some of that can be jealousy, right? Yeah. Oh, why does he get a shot, not me? Oh, it's because he has more followers. Well, regardless if he has more followers or not, he's getting a shot. And I promise you, he's putting the work in. Yeah. Look who's in his corner. Look who he's working with. And, you know, it's like, yeah, he's finding people that are at that level where he can compete with them. Um, but that's smart. Like, yeah. what, what you, you want to go up against... Another 185, 190 pound guy that's the top four or five in the world in boxing? I don't think so. You're not ready for that. Well, every yet. good manager and trainer. Yeah. And, and who would, who would watch that? They would watch that. They'd be like, oh, this guy's, oh, and he just got his lunch money taken. And then that would be the end of it. But that's not what he's trying to do. No, no he's, he's in it. I'll, I'll tell you, you know, boxing lost a lot of traction because of MMA. When MMA really started to hit, broadcast, pay-per-view, really started to take off. Mm -hmm. It hurt boxing. You can't be a good MMA fighter. Or casual fans. Casual yes. fans. Like, oh, hey, look, the Mike Tyson's fight is yeah. on. You know, but... The, it, the lack of those marquee names. You know, you had 
Pacquiao, Mayweather, Tyson, uh, Wilder, those type of guys over the years, you can't be a good MMA fighter if you don't know how to strike. Right? Mm -hmm. You've got to have some boxing fundamentals. So in the boxing community, it was how do we maintain our preeminence as the combat sport in the U.S.? And they were losing some ground to the UFC. I think boxing is back and as big as it's ever been. And what we see now, to your point, is there's way more content. Mm -hmm. It's not just ABC on Saturday. It's not just the big one-time Mike Tyson fight. It's Fox, ESPN, Showtime, yep. uh, HBO. Everybody is carrying boxing. There is more boxing bouts per year mm -hmm. than, than there's ever been. Yeah, so there are also 17 belts um, out there. Too. Yeah, and, and there's a lot of yeah, organizing groups now, yeah. yeah. But, yeah. but I think it's good because you're trying to build these fighters, and I think for kids, too, if you're trying to look at what do I put my – my kid into when it comes to combat sports, karate, jiu-jitsu, taekwondo, boxing, wrestling, whatever it is, kids want to be able to see that there's a, a path forward mm -hmm. somehow, some way. And so boxing, and you look at the, right? It's culture kind of leads to credibility. You look at the success of Creed, mm -hmm. just the movie series. Yeah. Um, it's still, boxing is as good as it's ever been and it's as prominent as it's ever been. Uh, they want to work hand in hand, right? Uh, they're both fighting for audiences, but there's enough audience out there for both MMA, UFC, Bellator, and boxing. And you're right, John, a lot more people creating belts. And we'll talk about it, but a big one coming up on July 29th, undisputed uh, championship at the welterweight level. But um, but a lot of good fights so far this year. I know you're going to go through the list with us. No, it's good. It's yeah. Look, so you can do this however you want. You can say, I like that fight, I didn't like that fight, rated on a scale of 1 to 10, in no particular order. But Devin Haney, uh, unanimous decision over Loma, one of my favorite fighters. So Vasily Lomachenko, in a somewhat controversial decision, loses. And, uh, you know, Haney, I don't know if you guys caught that. I saw some of that um, fights, at least in the, in the highlights. I saw some highlights. I saw, I believe it was the end of the seventh round and the eighth round. And what I saw, I thought um, Loma was uh, advancing and, you know, getting stronger in, in those rounds. So I, you know, just seeing a portion of that, it was like, oh, well, he's going to get the decision. Yeah. Yeah. It was, I, it could have gone uh, either way, and I thought uh, Loma might have gotten robbed on that decision. So it may Katie Taylor, who many thought would you know might not lose for a long time, suffers her first defeat to Chantel Cameron. So that was epic in terms of women's um, boxing. Mm -hmm. Anthony Joshua gets it back on track in April, beats Jermaine Franklin. May fifth in Mexico, a huge deal to have this fight um, title defense. Canelo retains his. WBA Super, WBC, IBF, WBO, ring, super middleweight titles, um, dominates John Ryder. It's a big, big fight. And, and for the Mexican fans who've been just yearning for that for so long, uh, to have a, a huge title fight back down there in Jalisco was big. Um, you had uh, Shakur Stevenson. He, he knocks out the Japanese fighter, Yoshino. Josh Taylor, very, I mean, Josh Taylor lost his super lightweight titles to Teofimo Lopez, who was a superstar and then had kind of fallen off track and now comes back and reclaims what many think um, are a pathway to uh, back to stardom. And, so, and this is what people love about boxing. 
These yeah. kind of comeback Cinderella, Rocky stories. Yep. You were at the top. Yep. You drop. You made it back. It. This is what keeps boxing in the ring. Pardon the pun, but no. uh, as popular as it's ever been with fights like that. Okay, my last one, and I think you guys have seen this one. Hopefully, you 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 saw this because he had fought in January. This is Gervonta Davis, Tank Davis. Um, he he had won a title defense, and then in April, so just a few months later. He fights undefeated um, Adam Garcia, and that was the body shot heard around yes. the world. <laughs> <laughs> the the liver knockout, and as the Boxing MMA Commission, we do a lot of work on the physiology mm-hmm. of a choke. Right there, there's a there's a carotid choke, and mm-hmm. there's a throat choke, airway mm-hmm. choke. Right, and they, a neck crank, and a neck crank. Yep. Right, there's so many dynamics of the physicality of what's happening when someone gets knocked out. The liver knockout is one of the worst, most hollowing things a human can go through. And the, and the fighters we talked to who have had it, and, and you know what this is all about, um, say it's devastating. You'd rather get just knocked out in the face, in the head somehow, or get, get mm-hmm. choked out instead yep. of that liver knockout. So for me, the well, beat and down. Com- coming oh, back ahead. from a standing eight count yes. from a body shot is significantly harder than if you're wobbled up top because you can keep your hands up. You can use lateral movement. You can you can dive and come in and close the distance and kind of weather the storm. But with a body, is it going to continue to get worse? Is it take your legs out of you? Because it yeah. takes the air out of you, but it completely shuts you down. It's all about core and, and feet, right? Mm-hmm. And, and just that stability. And you lose all of that with a yep. liver shot. And you know noticed that it's a delayed response about nine times out of 10, but it hits. And sometimes you're like, oh, you back off a little bit. And then. Yeah. Cause Garcia is backpedaling and then all of a sudden just goes to his knees. Yep. He's shut down. Yep. And this is a unique punch because it's the left hook to the body, but from an open stance. So one being Southpaw, one being Orthodox. Well, you're pointing at the screen. This is our official, our first beat down (laughs) clip. The beat of the week. Beat of the week. The beat down, beat of the week. We're going to go to the screen here. What I really like is Davis. This is such a great tactical move on his part. It shows how smart he is as a fighter. He doesn't have the reach that Garcia does. And so for him to get in there and get that punch the way he Boom. did, so there so it is. So strategically. Right? And so now Adam's retreating. He's, he's trying to get back. And then his body just like and there he is. gives out. At that point, he knew he had him. We got, we have our uh, producer Diego who got this looped in for us. Thank you, Diego. It's such an interesting punch because uh, so he ducks he ducks the lead left hook right, and he stays tight, and then you know he's coming with the right hook to the head, right, standing in his southpaw stance, and he comes under that right before it happens and lands just before that punch is thrown. So he ducked, tightened up, and then ripped the left hook to the body from yeah, the rear. Yeah, because he's countering. Um, Garcia's throwing a little uh, looping. Um, but left hook first and then coming back for yeah. a right hook. Yeah. Do you see Garcia say something? To, like he looks up at him. Didn't you say you, you had a fight? I won't. We won't mention fighters' names, but you hit him with a kidney shot or two or seven or so. And no, uh, I okay. So I, shot, I was, was fighting it? a guy. He switched to southpaw, kicked him to the body, 
and he backpedaled just a little bit, which he didn't backpedal at all. And he like, you want to talk about choice words, that dude was throwing them the whole fight. As a matter of fact, in the end of the second round, his corner was like, shut up and start fighting. But (laughs) I kicked him to the body and it was towards the end of the second round and I collar tied him and I punched him to the liver eight times. And as he was going down, he was like, F you, F you, that ain't shit, that ain't shit. And then the round stopped. And I remember hearing like commentators and a few people, why didn't he try to finish him? And I was like, I just hit that guy in the liver eight times. What do you mean? I tried to finish. you could do, you. Yeah, meat grinder. I think that's what Garcia was trying to say, and l- you can look at him. He literally can't even. Yeah, he can't talk. Well, and that yeah, that, that liver shot was spot on. Yeah. So I, ideally, you want to come up towards the shoulder, and and you're hitting the right side of the body where the liver is, and then you drive it up. But that was spot on from that open yeah. stance. Such yeah. a great tactical move by Davis, and and shows that he's a smart fighter. So up and coming fighters, if you are fighting a southpaw. Or unorthodox, and it's in that open stance, you know. It, it is completely shot. immobilizing to the fighter, mm-hmm. as you can see. But yep. it but it also takes your breath away too. It's a little yep. bit of a solar plex punch just because of what it's doing yep. to that whole organ area between the lungs and, and the liver. Oh yeah. So that's our beat, beat of the week of the week. Yeah, our shot of the week, right shot, there. Yeah. We're you know we're new we're still creating yeah uh, we're, we're we're beat of the week be, we'll we'll figure we'll figure it out but you mentioned this earlier uh, Mike July 29th is not just UFC 291 which we will get into in depth it is Errol Spence versus Terence Crawford a fight that people have been wanting and clamoring for for a number of Huge. years both undefeated welterweight in Las Vegas. You know, so Las Vegas is going to have the biggest boxing match of the year, and I think, quite frankly, Salt Lake City is going to have the biggest MMA fight of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, same night. Uh, this is going to be impressive. Uh, for me, it's a tough call. Um, I like Crawford from everything I've seen, you know, the past year. Uh, I think he can take it, but this is a very well-matched event we're going to see on the 29th uh, between Spence and Crawford. Um both fighters have a lot to prove. This is going to, and again, when we talk about where does boxing stand right now, this is one of those inflection points, marquee moments. Whoever comes out on top of this, this will kind of reset, this, reboot. This, the winner of this is most likely the pound for pound king. Yes, absolutely. Globally. Errol Spence yeah. Jr., Terrence Crawford, both Southpaws. Um, it, it'll be reminiscent, uh, and people have predicted that this will be similar or tantamount to Leonard Hearn's you know, these four yes. Kings fights back in the day when Hagler and Hearns and Duran and Leonard were, you know, going up and down and ruling uh, those those middleweight classes. I, I think we're seeing a new rivalry begin. Yeah. This won't be the first time we see these two together. And it's a Showtime pay-per-view, right? So, again, how do we judge the success of, of where the fight game is, depending on it? We're going to see what the Showtime numbers are. I'm I, sure they're going to be astronomical. Yeah, record. they would have to be. It's, yeah. a, it's a huge fight. The only thing that, you know, goes back full circle here, the only thing that may interfere with that a little bit is you've got UFC the same night. That's pay-per-view. So either way, we're going to get both just so we can go back and watch them again. Yep. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I know strategically they were probably trying to compete with each other, but dang, yeah. I wish they would have staggered yeah, that. No, it's going to be tough for all the commentators. They're going to have two screens up <laughs> right. and yeah. back and forth. and That's going to be us. Yep. It would have been great if yep. we had one on Friday and then one on Saturday. I but, know. Uh, that would be so much better. But Do you miss boxing, is is. Um, champ? 
I do. I, I have a love for boxing. So I, my first experience, so I was traditionally a karate guy, got into wrestling. I knew I wanted to fight since I was about 10 years old. I knew I wanted to be a UFC fighter or be an MMA fighter. And then, you know, when I was in my early teens, I saw Mark Kerr, the smashing machine. And I was like, I need to wrestle, be a division one, all American. And then I'm going to go do what he did. And then of course you had the ultimate fighter season one, right and that that like the lead up to that being able to like oh well this guy was a cop and this guy was a you know and it's like okay well these are just normal people getting in there and and look they're fighting at the highest level in the world so that's what i wanted to do and you know it's i didn't have the boxing background i i did train with a guy um in my karate school who had a promotion the first mma promotion in utah but i was doing traditional karate and I loved, he had a couple of boxers. He had the, uh, he had the Pua brothers. Oh yeah. Um, and both of those guys were in there working the bag. So I ended up buying a pair of boxing gloves. Some ever, my very first, I paid a hundred bucks for them for these Everlast boxing gloves, 16 ounce boxing gloves. And I went over and those, uh, Samson specifically was like, Hey, you know, this is how you work. Body shots is what you do. And it was totally polar opposite from my karate stance. And I loved it and I stuck with it, but I, knew I wanted to compete. So I started doing jujitsu and I had, a. he was a coworker. He was my journeyman plumber. I was a commercial plumber and I was the apprentice and he was an old school karate guy teaching Taekwondo and then got into Muay Thai kickboxing and he opened a small gym. And on Saturdays, we opened the gym up for all the local boxers to come in and get their sparring rounds. And so a guy came up and was like, hey, uh, will you uh, come give me some rounds? And I was like, oh, yeah, sure, no problem. He was like a 14-year-old kid. He was a little soft. He's about 180 pounds. I was probably 200. I was 22, and my shot was going into the UFC. And I'm like, this is what I'm going to do. And so I went in there, and I got my ass handed to me by this 14-year-old kid. <laughs> he ripped my body up. And he ended up being you know, a great boxer. And uh, I was like, hey, can you teach me? Can your dad hold the mitts for me and show me how to work the bag? <laughs> yeah. And so I stuck with it. I had 10 amateur fights. I fought in some semi-pro tournaments and then two professional boxing matches. And then making it on season 11 of The Ultimate Fighter, John Hackleman hired Howard Davis Jr., the 76 Olympic team, where mm. Hagler and yeah. all those guys came off of. Right. Uh, he was the head coach, head boxing coach at American Top Team. He was the 76 Olympic standout uh, and was an Olympic gold medalist. Uh, late Howard Davis, he passed away uh, several years ago, about three or four years ago. Um, but he became my coach and I worked with him. He cornered me for probably six to eight fights. He came out here to Salt Lake City. He helped me prepare for fights. Uh, my fight in Salt Lake City, he came out to. Um, yeah, I just, I love boxing. And, you know, I practiced with some of the top Muay Thai kickboxers at the Fairtex gym in downtown San Francisco. And you had a room full of world champion Muay Thai kickboxers. And, you know, it's just, I just loved the old school gritty, plus coming from Utah, having the Fulmers. Like Gene Fulmer was the gritty gnarly tough dude he was the justin gagey he was the he had that and he went and he he beat sugar ray right and you know uh he was definitely outclassed in that fight but he didn't he just had that tough that meanness and he wouldn't stop and he ended up winning 
you know, and that was way back in the forties or fifties. And so it's kind of like, I, I love the boxing and I love the style of training and the old school mentality of it. And, uh, not to mention if I was going to fight in the UFC, I needed to be able to hang with a, a reasonable the strikers, boxer. The, the, yep. the guys. And, 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 th and this is before MMA gyms. So yeah. it was, you know, hey, you have to compete in jiu-jitsu. You have to compete in wrestling. You have to compete in boxing, compete in kickboxing, train all those things different, and then you put it together. Yeah, yeah. And, and a lot of people who've matriculated into MMA, into the UFC, have a pure boxing background. Mm -hmm. One of our little brothers by age, not by stature, is Francis Ngannou, mm -hmm. you know, former uh, heavyweight champ in the UFC. But his first love is, is boxing, and mm -hmm. that's what he did in France. And I think he and Cyril were doing that there. And then yep. he came to the U.S. and yep. kind of still wanted to box. One of the reasons he's not in the UFC is he wanted to be able yep. to box Yep. Um, in addition to uh, fighting in the UFC. And so uh, we'll we'll have him on um, in a future episode. And I can't wait to connect you guys to talk I'm about the, the boxing game. But speaking of guests, uh, I think we're about ready to pull in our guest of the episode, um, you know, former interim lightweight um, champion, the highlight, Justin Gaethje. Before we actually get him on can you give us a little history of you know justin from from back in the in the day fighting a little yeah bit. he was getting ready to fight uh brian foster in world series of fighting i believe and so this is this is years and years ago and i had like how many years ago we're talking about maybe six or seven years ago okay. maybe even longer so it was before he was in the ufc and uh I had Ramsey Nijem cornering me, a former Division I wrestler who made it on the Ultimate Fighter, lost to Tony Ferguson in the finale, um, you know, had a 10-plus fight year or 10-plus fight career in the UFC, and I had him corner me. And those two, I think they had met and trained before because they had a full-out sparring match, like, in a conference room while I was getting ready to cut weight. Yeah, they were, like, <laughs> yeah, shooting. And it was on the carpet, too. But they had gear on and, you know, and they were just, they were, they were training. And so, but one of the things was they were like, oh yeah, uh, Justin, he, he's out of Colorado and he's a division one All-American. And I was like, oh, he was a wrestler. Cause like he, you know, it's like they were talking about him being a brawler and I was like, oh, fantastic. And I've had an affinity for wrestling since I was a kid. My dreams were to become a division one national qualifier or all American yeah. so that I could compete in the UFC because American wrestlers were dominating, you know, with that folk style wrestling, holding people down and escaping off bottom, you know, more so than the freestyle and the Greco. And so, um, I've always had an affinity for wrestling. I, I, I absolutely love wrestling. So, well, you know. it's interesting because Justin was an NCAA division one, all American, but if you look at his career, um, and I've, I've just pulled these off stats, 28 fights, 24 wins. And if you look at his wins, 19 by KO. Mm -hmm. And of course, you can KO somebody off of your wrestling and, and, and take them down and dominate them and finish them that way. But most of his KOs have been standing up, striking, only one submission mm -hmm. and four decisions that he's had against but Do his you know why that makes that available? Look at Chuck Liddell. A lot of people don't know he wrestled for Cal Poly under uh, Sammy Henson, the, the one of the all-time greatest American wrestlers. 
you know, he yeah, was no a wrestler. No one thinks Chuck Liddell wrestling. There, no like kicks and you know, and 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 part of the reason why he was never an All American is because he kept getting injured right before the Division One tournament. And so, I I think just just knowing from running on a treadmill next, he was my very first training partner after the Ultimate Fighter. I went and lived with Chuck. Oh, really? Yeah, I went and lived with him, and I trained side by side. He was fighting He was uh, fighting Rich Franklin, oh, yeah. and it was a week before Epic. my Ultimate Fighter finale. And so my very first experience was, okay, we're going to do rowing and wrestling. So it was hard, hard conditioning rowing, and then you went on bottom, and you had to get to your feet. And Chuck was down first, and I held Chuck down, and I kind of I let him up, and he was like, hold me down. And so I'm like, oh, shit, okay. Boom, I hop on him, dude, and I just, like, grinded him out and tried to not let him up. And he, he ended up getting up, but, like, it, and then as I got to know Chuck, I realized, like, he got his accounting degree from Cal Poly. I realized that the business side of mixed martial arts was just as important as the fighting side. And I got the experience. Sammy Henson was there coaching, so I got to work, well, like, one-on-one -on -one with Sammy Henson, and I had only heard legendary stories of the bull, you know, and Howard Davis Jr., you know, it's like I had the top of the top, and, you know, that was kind of my first experience, uh, and so you look at Justin Gagey, and part of the reason why those knockouts are available are because of his wrestling ability. Yeah. I appreciate that perspective, champ. Great well, insight. We're going to... We're going to um, bring in, I think uh, uh, Diego's got JG up here on the screen. So um, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll pipe him in right here. Champ, JG, uh, welcome to Beatdown. Uh, I've got in the house with me uh, someone that you know, that you fought alongside um, the World Series um, back in the day. Court McGee, veteran, uh, UFC fighter. Uh, he is one of my co-hosts. And along with Court, uh, Utah State Boxing and MMA Commissioner Mike Deaver, the, he is our, he's our boxing go-to guy. Uh, but we're all big fans of yours, Champ, and we appreciate you making time in anticipation of your marquee uh, bout coming up. This is a huge fight. Um, you, you know, someone recently, Jorge Masvidal, said, you know, after uh, he fought Diaz for the BMS, the, the baddest mother title. They thought they would retire it. Nothing else could be worthy of it. But as soon as he heard it was you and Diamond, uh, it was uh, Gaethje Poirier. He's like, that's perfect. That is the lineage. That's what we need because every fight you fight is a fight of the night, fight of the year, um, classic contender. So thanks for being in on the show. I want to let Court, I want to let Commissioner Deaver uh, ask you some questions, and, and I've got a few of my own. Court, you want to kick us off? And uh, since we've got the champ here, uh, the highlight, former interim lightweight champion, one of the most electrifying fighters of our generation, go ahead and kick us off. Agreed. Uh, how are you feeling? Yeah, no, I feel great. I mean, I'm tired and sore, but you know, I got three sparring sessions, see, four sparring sessions left, yep. uh, one today. Just getting mentally prepared, but you know these are the last uh, last hard weeks, and uh, this is when my body makes the biggest biggest changes. So I got to keep pushing through and keep keep making it happen. Justin, how do you feel? Second fight here coming up. What will change without giving away all the fight secrets? How does your fight plan change coming into fight number two with Poirier? Uh, I mean, you know, um, that fight was five years ago, so 
you know, there's really, um, I, I, I haven't, I won't go back and watch that fight for this fight necessarily. I'll, I usually let my coach do most of that stuff, but I'll watch, you know, some of his most recent fights. I like to see, you know, the pace that he starts at and, um, you know, really be mentally prepared for, you know, for, for who he is now. Um, again, we're both so much different than we were five years ago. So I don't think it plays a lot into this fight. Um, I think, um, you know, the growth that we've both experienced and the, the caliber of fights that we've both experienced has really, you know, turned us into different people, different fighters and uh, different athletes. So I'm excited to go out there and, and, you know, get that, get that loss back. You know, um, he's one of the, I've lost to him, Oliveira, you know, Khabib. Khabib yep. <laughs> and then, um, Alvarez. Uh, Alvarez. I can't, can't get the Alvarez fight back. I can get the Poirier fight back. I can get the Khabib fight back by fighting Makachev, and you know, in order to do that, I have to win this fight. Hey, just following on what Commissioner Deaver asked you, Champ. So you have evolved. Poirier's evolved since that 2018 fight. What is it about your game? What if, what's changed for you, and how you either approach things or the style or added skill set? Yeah, I think when I was young, you know, I would go in there with not emotional, but so amped up and so. Um, ready to get into a brawl, but now, now it's really just, you know, understanding that, you know, in these high-level fights, it's, it's making less mistakes, and those mistakes happen when you're fighting emotion, you know, not emotional, again, like I said, because I was never mad or sad or happy or angry. It's just um, not being caught up in the, in the lights, in right. the crowd, and not letting any of that affect my performance, and really just staying, you know, within myself and then understanding that, you know, I need to be tactical for the most part and you know the dog's always going to be in me the dog's in him and so it's again whoever makes less mistakes and whoever can take advantage of the mistakes um, whenever they appear so just the maturity that comes with experience um yeah, over yeah, time these big fights you know i've been in a lot of big fights since then um you know i've got caught up in some and and i've, I've stayed focused and, and mentally you know within myself in some of those fights. And those are my be best performances. The last fight, the Chandler fight. Um, yeah, you look Ferguson good. Fight. You know, all those fights are, are so different than some of my previous fights. Let me, let me ask you a, a question about something that you just mentioned. And then I know, speaking of last fights, that Court and I want to talk about Fiziev a, a little bit. Uh, so you mentioned that, y you know, you have, you try to stay um, within yourself uh, but but people have noticed that of course you're a pro's pro and you and you stay focused. But there is a joy in you when you're in that ring, even in a battle. There's something about it. I mean, that connects you with fans. It, it, I mean, how do you feel when you're fighting? Uh, obviously, it's intense. Like you said, you're you're trying to fight your game plan. But but what is the emotion um, inside? Unlike some other fighters that I've seen, I, I just feel like there's some in, innate joy. So I think uh, I think all the emotion is, is occurring before the fight. You know, once the bell rings, it is so um, peaceful in a way. Like it's uh, it's really quiet. Um, you know, you're not hearing any noises. You're just really focused on and and in, on your um, intuition and, and reflexes. You know, you're trusting in those in the preparation um, leading up to the fight. You know, that's what we're working on is 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 trusting yourself. And believing in yourself, you know, you know, you have to believe in yourself the whole time. Um, any kind of this, these fights, uh, momentum is a huge thing, and so you got to gain the momentum. And then once you have the momentum, you got to really, you got to really take advantage of that. And if you give momentum, then you have to 
know, win it back. <laughs> work very hard. Work very hard to get it back and not allow that to become, you know, such a factor. Yeah, absolutely. You have, you have, you have seconds to do that because the momentum just builds and builds and builds. So you have to cut it off and you have to find, um, you know, again, you got to be confident. Court, I mean, you've felt that. Um, and, and you and I were watching JG's last fight together um, when he was fighting Fazif, mm -hmm. who started off really fast, maybe even faster than Justin had anticipated because it looked like, man, this kid is, is so fast. But talk, give us your observations about how Justin's matured. What did, what did you see in that fighter in that fight um, you know, as, you, as he prepares for Poirier now? Well, I'm, I'm similar in that I like to move forward. I like to attack first and win positions. But it's, uh, I'm always apprehensive watching somebody come out really hard because, you know, it's like you've got, you know, either five rounds or you've got three rounds to figure out how to beat somebody. And so when somebody comes out fast and hard, sometimes they're going to peter out, they're going to slow down. And then you can start taking advantage of that because they start making mistakes. And that's where he is really good is he is capable of taking advantage of mistakes or if somebody starts getting sloppy and tired and he'll stay in the fight the whole time. And so it's regardless of what's going on, it's like getting lost in the preparation and, and zoning out. I don't know how you feel, but I feel like, you know, two to three weeks out of the fight, I am in my element. I'm just, you know, and... I love that. And then I, if you could fast forward like three minutes into the fight, boom, it's like everything's silent. I don't think anybody, other than my first fight in the UFC, I wore contacts and I looked over and I saw uh, Jada Pinkett and Will Smith. And I was like, holy shit, Will Smith is watching me fight. <laughs> you know, and so after that, I, I quit doing that. But other than that, you know, it's like get, getting into the fight, you know, uh, we have earned the right to get in there. And this is the BMF title. And this is the, I mean, this is a great, I, I was at the first BMF title yeah. and I mean, this is like, you couldn't ask for a better BMF title because both of these guys come out, they put it on the line and it's exciting because it was a great matchup. So, you know, this is a fight for the fans for sure. And anybody who's, you know, fight IQ is high it's, or whatever, you know, it's like, this is a great fight and uh, it's exciting for the lead up and it's going to be exciting when it starts because it's going to be a hell of a fight i agree i mean game bread diaz that that was awesome but these are also two former interim champs on top of that like everything else oh yeah when you put these guys in rock'em sock'em robots that neither one will yeah. will stand down justin talk a little bit about that too because i don't think many people or at least a lot of fight fans don't know your 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 heritage and your mom is of mexican descent and you fight like a Mexican boxer in terms of that gladiator warrior style. That's not to say it's reckless. It's just you will not back down and you'll stand in the pocket and you'll keep throwing. Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, first of all, that's a great assessment. I mean, on the Fizia fight by, by, by Court because, you know, I knew going into that fight that you know, he had been in some big fights, but never the caliber of fights that that, that was in a co-main event of a, a numbered card. Um, and I knew he was going to, he's incredibly fast. I didn't know how fast he was until I was in there and he was incredibly fast. And, um, you know, the game plan was to control distance and make him miss. The more he misses, the more, the more, the more exhausted he gets. And, uh, the more opportunities I'm going to have later in the fight, you know, in a three round fight, it's a little bit dangerous because 
again, you know, if he's, yeah. he's able to keep that up for you lose the first two rounds, then you have to knock him out. A uh, five round fight, you know, I would have uh, the, the the it was clearly shifting, and I would have completely dominated and got got my finish. But in a three round fight, it's a little bit dangerous. So I think that was a good assessment. Um, but yeah, I mean, um, we're all from somewhere. You know, I'm from a small place. Uh, my my family is is so important to me, and then ultimately, I just want to represent my family in, in the way that I know it, that I can and that I should, and that's you know by never giving up and never giving in on myself. I wish I believed in myself as much as my family and my coaches believed in, believed in me. But that's that's the battle that we face every day is is believing in ourselves. So, um, you know, yeah, coming from a small place, coming from such a big family, uh, having so much to represent. I think it plays a huge part in um, in the way that I, the way that I compete. You know, the way that I refuse to lose, the refuse to give up position, and refuse to um, ever bring, you know, shame to my family by not performing. Humans recognize effort, and I think that's why I'm so, you know, the, the fans are so able to, to kind of understand and, and and appreciate and respect what I do in there because I give max effort at all times. Um, whether I'm winning or losing, um, you know that's it's an important factor. But the most important thing to me is never, never giving up and never giving in, and showing people that um, that uh, life, you know, will, will will punch you in the face, knock you down, but you know you, you have a choice to get back up, and it's all choices in there. You you either make the choice to keep going and give in, or or not give in. So that's uh, that's what I focus on, and that's what I pride myself in. But by, by the way, champ. Um, I didn't mean to imply that your kind of warrior spirit was exclusively because of your Mexican heritage, your dad's German-American, but really it's a lot of it is just the environment that you grew up in. They were super hardworking people that worked in a mine, your grandfather, yep. your, your, your father, uh, your grandfather boxed in the army. I mean, you came from a, a long lineage of extremely hardworking Americans, uh, family first, and I think as you and I have talked before, that's as much a part of who you are as, as anything else. Yeah. I mean, it just allows the, you know, me to be content with no matter, no matter what happens, I know that my family will be proud of me. Um, as long as I give max effort, as long as I don't give it, even if I were to do that, they would still love me obviously. But yeah, my family is, is my source of inspiration. I mean, they, they're there for me no matter what. And that's something that you can always fall back on. And it's, you know, it's super refreshing and reassuring to know that that's something that you have. Hey, Justin, to follow up on that, um, last year, the Edwards-Uzman fight, possibly the most electric sporting event I've ever been to, period. The fight itself was amazing. The undercard fights were amazing. Uh, Sold-out crowd. When you come to Salt Lake City, have to assume this is going to be home court advantage for you, given the proximity of where you live out in Colorado. How does the fans... How does that energy impact you going to what court said? Sometimes you just got to be so laser focused. You, you don't want the contact since you can see the Smiths. But how is this going to work for you with the fans? How, what kind of impact does that have? How much are you uh, drawing off the fans' energy? And second to that, yeah, I mean, will your family be here? No, my, family's, my family will be there. I'll have, I'll have a ton of people there. But, you know, I, I got to um, not take it into account because ultimately it cannot help me. They can only hurt me. Um, I have to fight for myself. I have to fight for, for, for myself. And you know, when I fought Oliveira in Phoenix, I was so caught up in, in having so many people there for me and, and wanting to do so good for them that it really deterred um, me, my ability to, to stay within myself. And so 
you know, when the fight's over, I'm going to love to see all of them. Um, but if I want to be my best, I have to fight for myself. And, you know, I cannot take that into account because, you know, it can't help me. And, and Justin, I was sitting right next to you in Salt Lake City when our brother Kamaru lost that fight. And he was dominating it all the way to the end. There were seconds ticking off. And I think everybody was just waiting for the bell to ring. And then Rocky caught him and now has kind of catapulted himself um, into, uh, you know, champion status. Why? <laughs> I think that's one of the reasons why fans love this sport so much. Because if you're down 30 points in an NBA game with two minutes, there's no way to win that, right? You're down three touchdowns in a football game. You're not coming back with minutes left in the fourth quarter. But in this game, it's a fight to the very, very last second. Yeah, it's a special sport. I mean, there's a reason it's, you know, I think it's going to surpass soccer as, as the most, um, you know, one of the most popular sports in the world. You know, we have every country. The United States doesn't necessarily focus on soccer. They love fighting. Um, every The farther away I go from these this country, the more popular that we are. Um, so I think that's uh, a testament to how exciting and how, you know, how people can relate to what we're doing. Everybody's a fighter. Everybody's been in situations. Um, hopefully not, but most people, you know, find themselves in a fight, whether it's in grade school or at a bar, you know, being a fool. But people understand what what it means and what it is, uh, what we do, um, how exhausting it is. If you've ever grappled for 30 seconds, you know how exhausting what we're doing is. And, yeah, that, that factor of anything can happen at any moment, is what keeps people on the edge of their seats. I have a training question. So I, I'm a, a like a fan second to none of of wrestling. I love wrestling, and I love I love mixed martial arts. You know that's part of wrestling. But yeah, I met you. I don't know. It was probably it, it was a long time ago. Ramsey Nijim was with me, and I think either yeah. you were getting ready for a fight, or he was, or maybe I was getting ready for a fight, and you guys trained on the side, and I had. I knew about you. I think you were fighting Brian Foster, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. It was a long time ago. Um, and I, I, uh, Ramsey knew who you were. I had heard your name, but I didn't really know who you were. And he said, Oh yeah, he's a division one all American. And you guys were kind of like boxing close and doing like fit ins and, and kind of just working. And then, uh, I ended up, uh, going upstairs and starting my weight cut. And so ever since then, I've I've followed you, but I didn't realize that you were a Division One All American out of Colorado. And I'm a huge fan of wrestling. I, I coach my son's wrestling team. I helped coach the national team uh, here for Utah and the national team duels. My son's going to Fargo uh, next week. And so it's uh, how much wrestling do you incorporate into your regular practice, like during uh, preparation for a fight? And do you do you have wrestling specific practices when you're not preparing for a fight? That cardiovascular system is is the hardest to gain, the easiest to lose, and agreed. You, know, you have to train it because I mean a college wrestling match is seven minutes. My fight on July 29th is 25 minutes, mm-hmm. and um, you know when I would wrestle those college matches, I was barely able to walk off the mat. I was so exhausted. Um, so I think it's just such an important factor to. to to believe that you can, for one, get to that, that how exhausted we get. You can get there, and then you can work through that. Um, I think that's what we worked on our entire life. I think that's what 
um, the most important factor from wrestling is is the ability to to work when you're exhausted, when you can barely lift your arms, you can barely walk. And I think that's uh, that's what's got me to this point is is the self belief that you, no matter how tired I am, I can I will never give up and continue to work. And the guy across from me is not is the same 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 guy. You know, he's been working just as hard. So I think it's uh I think it's important that we that we can constantly work on that uh, and continue to to try and build that cardiovascular system um, because again it's so different than than anything else that you're ever going to do. And speaking of your history, champ, you played football and baseball in high school. You were two-time state wrestling champ, and then went Division One college All-American. I think Northern Colorado is that, uh, or is that the? Yep. We, and then inducted into their Hall of Fame. Um, but something that some of the fans don't know about is that you can actually swing the golf sticks. Um, there are a lot of professional athletes who try to be golfers, and you know. You watch Charles Barkley and some others, um, maybe not as effective, but you actually can golf. Do, do you allow yourself to play some golf even when you're in training camp and getting ready for a fight? Yeah, I mean, the, the closer I get to a fight, the less, the less I'm able to go golfing. I mean, usually I golf on Sundays, um, but, you know, the next three weeks, are my, my Sundays are really important to stay home and let my body recover. Um, so I have been staying away from that. But, yeah, I miss it. Um, what, next time I get out there, though, I'm gonna I'm gonna absolutely suck. My dexterity is lacking, and so my golf swing is a little bit ugly. But I know how to make it go straight. Well, you got a little bit of that baseball swing, but you <laughs> you figured it out. I've I've golfed with you, and let me just tell one quick story. You can validate it because these guys were laughing, and and I'm not sure they believe me. So uh, we're we're playing in Colorado. Um, not too far from where you live, and I've not been hitting it well all day. And so you guys say, go ahead. It's the last hole. Um, the guys in front of us had been playing pretty slowly, and we were a little frustrated. But you're like, you're never going to reach those guys. And, of course, I tee off, and the ball sails over their head. They get very upset, and they literally start to walk toward us shouting some profanities. And, guys, I tell you, Champ didn't do anything you know, untoward. Just his posture <laughs> – he said, let me go, man. let me go talk to these guys. And I said, well, maybe that's not a good idea. Cause, and they saw him just stand up. And as soon as they saw his posture, all four of these guys just turned around and walked off. They thought it's not worth it to go. But um, the, the face off worked. Yeah. That's I, all you needed from 100 yards. I mean, I just, sorry, guys. Like, sorry, you know. Um, hey, trying to be, we didn't mean to. Like, Reyes can't hit the yeah. ball that, that far, um, at least not consistently. Um, but we, we appreciate you um, for sure coming on. Talk a little bit, maybe again, strategically, um, Orthodox south, Southpaw. Um, is there a, 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 you know, for those of us who, who aren't, Court McGee or Justin Gaethje, what goes into preparing for somebody who's, it's not orthodox, orthodox, you're fighting Poirier, you've seen him before. Um, talk a little bit about the nuances of that preparation. Yeah, I think um, you know, the feet, you know, controlling the, controlling the dance. Um, it it's really is a, just a dance going on in there. You know, a, a dangerous dance, but controlling distances is number one. And then uh, creating angles is number two. I mean, we're both going to be battling for, for foot position. You know, you want to be, you want to have outside position so that, you know, you can win the angle battle. Um, you want to control distance because, again, you're going to see things that, that you're not used to seeing necessarily in these fights. Um, so I just, 
you know, all of my sparring sessions, I'm trying to go against guys that are not orthodox, that are southpaws. And, you know, my coach is constantly drilling these, these different techniques with my feet, you know, how to get angles and how to create angles and how to take advantage of the angles that I do create um, in, in my training sessions. So, yeah, at the end of the day, it's a, it's a dog fight. Um, but, you know, again, we, we are both very, very capable. We've both been doing this for a long time. We've both been working on our, our techniques for a long time. And, you know, it's a lot of skill, but a little bit of luck and a little bit of chance. So you got to embrace that and, and just go in there and go with it. So not, not necessarily harder to fight Southpaw, just different. And, and, and... Oh, yeah, it's certainly different. It's certainly different. I mean, um, Southpaws are used to fighting right-handers. Right-handers are, are orthodox fighters. Orthodox fighters are not necessarily used to fighting Southpaws because they are, they are not what we see, you know, on average. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think they have a slight advantage there, but you know, you. Um, some of my best shots come come against southpaws. You know, my best angles and my best my abilities to create big punches come against left-handers. Uh, when when I hurt the most guys, I have success in hurting their lead leg. Most right-handed fighters, and they switch to southpaw, and that's when I land my biggest shots. I did that against Chandler. I did that against Fiziev. Mm-hmm. And same thing against Ferguson, <laughs> even though he was crazy and didn't switch yeah. very much. round three, um, yeah. one thousand uppercuts, and then you just took him down just to be able to say, "Yeah, I can still do that." Yeah, um, but Chandler. <laughs> I mean, every time Chandler switched to left-handed, I created so much damage um, to the point where I heard his his coaches say, "Do not switch. Stop switching." Yep. Get yeah, back to a, I did the same thing to Josh Near. It was exactly yeah, the same. So compromised, he didn't have a choice, and so that's ultimately what you're trying to create is is these circumstances in which they have to come out of the come out of their game plan and and they have to try to fight there and then you have to take advantage of those moments speaking of coaches you have a great coach in trevor whitman um and and court and i were talking about that before i mean he's trained the likes of gsp and stipe and dillashaw and cowboy rashad dozens and dozens of others but he kind of seems to focus on a few at a time and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but he's been working with you, uh, Rose Namayunas, uh, Usman, uh, just a few fighters. And he's so good. Technically talk a little bit about how his influence on you. Yeah. I mean, the, the man is a genius. He can, he can literally do anything, build anything, make anything. He makes all of my sparring, all of my equipment, my training equipment with his, with his hand and his sewing machine, you know, my gloves, my shin guards, my headgear, all that's handmade by him. Um, the man is a genius. He's been around, you know, he was a boxing coach for a long time. He boxed for a long time and his ability to teach technique and, and help me understand the technique that he's trying to teach, that he's trying to show me is second to none. You know, he's just, you know, I, um, I possess a lot of skills, but I have, I don't have the skill to teach. Um, I, I, I'm, I know how to learn and, um, he knows how to teach me and I know how to learn. I always say that he's an artist and I'm his canvas. Mm. And, uh, yeah, having him as a coach has been 100% why I'm so successful. There's no doubt about that. So, Champ, this is our follow-up round. We're going to each ask one last question. So, Commissioner Deaver. Yeah, Justin, uh, kind of following on that, fans love to hear about the process. Uh, You look at shows like Hard Knocks, both in the fighting and NFL, award-winning on every single level. Tell us about the week leading into the fight. What does that day-to-day look like? Who's with you? What are you doing? What are you not doing? Give the fans a little bit of an insight on, on the process you go through to get ready for Saturday, July 29th, the week of. 
the week of the fight is actually, you know, all the, all the hard work's done. You really just got to, again, we're, we're trans, I'm transforming into uh, who I am on a regular basis into a complete competitor. And, you know, I've become, my fuse is much shorter. You know, I don't want to hear unnecessary words. I don't want to talk about unnecessary things because I'm trying to stay focused and I'm trying to understand that, you know, I got 25 minutes of time that I have to be perfect. And that week, you know, again, it's a little bit refreshing because all the hard work's done. You know, the only work left is cutting weight, which which does suck. But, mm-hmm. you know, you, you do that in, in spurts, in increments. And so I, I have my coaches. I have my nutritionists. I have, you know, five of my coaches and my nutritionists. And that's really who all I'm around. Um, that whole week we go work out around the time of the fight, which is going to be, you know, I'm going to fight probably 9.30, um, Salt Lake City time, mm-hmm. and so that's about you know we'll start we'll we'll aim to work out around eight thirty nine, mm. and then just try to get good sleep, get rest, and let your body recover from all of this hard work that we've been putting ourselves through. That's a great insights, great insights. Yeah, and I also have a I mean I have a YouTube channel I've been I post every week, and it's a my weekly training, um, and so people I've had a lot of people tuning into that, and that that's really a way to understand you know, the work that we put in and, you know, leading up to these fights. What's the name of your channel? I think it's, it's just my name, Justin Gaethje. Justin um, Gaethje. The, we'll the make sure to right now put on, yeah, push that out. To Utah. Um, so, yeah, I've had some, uh, I have a great editor, my coach's son. He has that same, same mindset as my coach, same ability, same artistic uh, values as my coach. And he puts some, puts some great stuff together. And he can pack down a burger too. From- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, and you're already used to the elevation. If there is any advantage to that, I mean, you're Colorado, um, Utah, yeah. similar. Yeah, it allows me to uh, to be a little bit more confident in that in that that process. But ultimately, tired is tired, and I'm going to be exhausted. <laughs> I just have to learn or have to believe that I can work through that, and that's what I've been preparing for this whole time. What is your biggest challenge that you need to overcome uh, to come out and win this fight? Yeah, I think it's um, fighting tactically. Um, my last fight against Poirier, I was, you know, a whole a completely different athlete. And, um, you know, up to that moment, I had only lost one fight. And I, I was successful in that fight. And so I still believe that that was the route that I needed to take. Um, I've now learned that that's not, not the way. Um, I have to be more tactical. This guy is a bet. He's been in so many big fights, you know, jacked up Conor McGregor's last two fights. And, you know, so his confidence is at, is at an all-time high. I have to really pick at his confidence and, um, you know, eventually make him understand that um, I'm not going anywhere and that my shots are creating damage. I, I create damage every single fight, so I have to be patient. And I have to find my shots, but not be overzealous in trying to create damage. Excellent. In fact, some of those shots in that last fight, I think Dustin said, you, with your inside leg kicks, like tore um, a muscle. He didn't realize it necessarily at the time, but he said hardest he's ever been kicked in his life. Um, yeah. So, you know, I know that's going to be in the back of his mind, but that's ultimately what got me, not, uh, got me finished in that fight too. So, again, much more tactical I need to be. Yeah. So let me finish the interview with this and correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like there's a, a fair amount of mutual respect between you. I mean, here you are, you're talking about 
um, Poirier. And that certainly wasn't the case with the last, um, you know, two guys who went at it for the um, BMF uh, title. And there's a lot of fights where it's very personal. Um, talk a little bit about that. I mean, are you, are you guys, uh, you, you, you seem to have a, a respect for Poirier. And of course, when you go in there, you'll be gladiators and you're going to try to finish each other. But um, is there um, an underlying respect uh, for, you know, you guys have been around doing this a long time? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, I, I'm a fan of this guy. Uh, I love watching his fights. I mean, I think that's, that's one of the best parts about this fight specifically is neither one of us have to, you know, try to create some story. Um, everybody knows that we're going to go in there and we're going to try to finish each other. Uh, we both have the same aspirations, and that is the championship. We want to fight the winner of Oliver and Makachev, and there's only one way to do that, and that's to face each other. You know, he's number number two, I'm number three, and that's it's really the only fight. You know, I, I went, I did my job. I fought somebody outside the, you know, outside the, the norm. I fought Fiziev, and I think, um, you know, I had to do that. You have to give these up and comers a shot, and I proved that, um, you know, we're still we're still the best of the best, and I think that's the best part about this fight. At the time, I don't think Diaz was the best of the best. I think he was more of the persona, persona of, of who he was and who he is. And so I think this this fight offers more than that fight had at the time. You know, with two guys that are still vying for a championship. Yeah, and absolutely. So I think that's the biggest difference in this fight and uh, the last BMF belt. Yeah, and one other comment about Fiziev, uh, and there, I think it's important. And, and another reason people love you is that you did not have to take that fight most guys in your position wouldn't take that fight very little to gain a lot to lose he was trying to use that to catapult himself um towards a title fight and you took it and again you you you, you dominated him in the end um and so just another reason that people love the highlight they love what you bring um every single time you're in the octagon and it's one of the reasons why we love you, brother. In addition to that, you're an incredible human being, a great patriot. And we appreciate you coming and helping us launch this show. Um, yeah. Much love to you. And please give our best to your family and um, stay strong, brother. We'll be there, uh, obviously, um, uh, on the fight night, July 29th. Um, Delta Center, Salt Lake City. UFC 291. Guys? Yes, sir. It's going to be epic. See you guys soon. All right, Thank brother. You. Thanks, JG. You we'll see you, champ. Thanks, Justin. Later. Epic interview with JG, the champ, sponsored by some of our supporters, uh, Rockwell. That's uh, right, Rockwell watches. Uh, watches and, um, and gear, uh, Stonebriar Financial, uh, our media partner, Bad Bet Productions, um, Dirty Dough Cookies, uh, a, a lot of others who've helped us launch this. Commissioner Deaver, before I get to court, um, to help us break down the rest of the card at UFC 291. You have been part of the sports um, uh, scene here in Utah for many years, served on the sports commission, brought things like the um, you know professional golf and the Olympics to Utah. But you were also instrumental in bringing UFC 286, the Usman Edwards fight, to Salt Lake City last year. So it was August of 2022. And I think you said it, electrifying, incredible atmosphere. And even afterwards, Dana White said Salt Lake City impressed him so much. And Dana's not necessarily effusive, um, you know, when it comes to just handing out uh, compliments. You got to earn it. Absolutely. 
What was it that that the state did? Talk to us about what goes on behind the scenes for attracting such a a big event, and and then how that uh, two eighty six plays into two ninety one. I mean, we're mm-hmm. we're here less than a year, and we're back with another um, headline event. Absolutely. You, you know, um, this I think what happened last year showed how good of a fight town. Salt Lake City in Utah is. We know this has been a great fight community. From amateur wrestling, we have the highest participation per capita of wrestling in the country uh, when you talk about youth. So all the way up to our boxing legacy here with the Fulmers, to Golden Gloves, to great fighters like Court McGee, Josh Berkman, those type of guys who have made it up to the UFC and put Utah on the map. Jeremy Horn. Many, Jeremy many Horn, absolutely. Before. Jeremy Horn, uh, legendary. So we've got such a good fight community here that was unnoticed because of humility. I think, I think so. I think that's a great, a, a, a great uh, analysis of that is, is humble fighters mm-hmm. who just want to win. As we were talking about earlier, it's not always about the money or the accolades, those type of things. They just want to win and keep winning for their family and, and for everything else. So it had been a, it's six years since we'd had anything UFC related come to Salt Lake. And, and it was a pay-per-view by, or, I mean, it was, it wasn't a, it was a fight night. It was a fight night. Yeah. It wasn't yep. a full fledged pay-per-view yep. event. Right. Right. So this was big. And as the Pete Suazo, Utah athletic commission, any professional boxing or in this case, MMA. So it could be Bellator, UFC, whoever might be in the MMA world. They have to come to us first, get it sanctioned, show us the card dates, everything else. We don't have overlapping fights. There's, there's a lot of mechanisms that go behind actually sanctioning the fight, approving the dates. And then it's working with the venues, um, the local C- Salt Lake CVB to help us with rooms has a great economic impact. We certainly work with all the sponsors here locally. So it was a great team effort to get this here last year. And to your point, Sean, Dana White, I've never heard him be that complimentary of a location and the turnout, the sellout, the electricity in the room. That's what they want. Um, I think it was a marquee moment in the branding of UFC and an inflection point in some regards. It was an upset fight. Uh, Different winner came out than we all thought, um, but the crowd was there. And oh, yeah. that's what the UFC at Bellator, anybody wants, is, is, is that television, that broadcast, that highlight out of it. So as he said- And the we'll, room filled up by the second fight on the card. Absolutely. That's, that, that's, that was the thing yeah, you that can kind I of tell. noticed. Okay. I was like, That's a good barometer. For, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, that's always a good sign. We've all been to fights in other markets where it's, room's not full until you're, you know, three, up, card three up to the end. Yeah. Three up to the main. So uh, I think those are all good parts about what Utah brings to the table. And as Dana said, we'll be back next year. He said that before he left. Um, so that's a real credit to our fans. Obviously, a lot of people flew in for that fight. It was such a big fight. Yeah. Uh, we anticipate the same thing. And again, that's economic impact. That's hotel rooms, restaurants, gas, rental, everything else uh, that comes out of that. So yeah, a few follow-ups on that. Uh, a lot of people <clears throat> flew in even internationally because I don't think people realize how international Utah actually is in terms right. of um, the, the the cultures that are represented. Two, in addition to everybody that you mentioned uh, with the team effort, got to give some love to our guy, Ryan Smith, yes. the owner of the Utah Jazz and co-founder of Qualtrics because my understanding was that he added some incentives for the UFC to come because he's trying to show off um, all the great things that are happening here in the state. Yeah, absolutely. I was going to uh, mention that as well. Ryan Smith, uh, Mark Powell there at uh, the Delta Center, um, they were phenomenal. And I think this is one of the things 
that helps a group like the UFC make a decision is how easy and frictionless was it to work with the venue, the city, um, an athletic commission to sanction it. And Utah's an easy place to work, right? And it's a non, you know, then you get really detailed. It's a non-labor state, right? Costs go down. Right. Um, there are fees that they pay us so we can function as a boxing and MMA commission. Um, and we're probably the most reasonable in the country when it comes to what those fees are. So so maybe beer sales just a tick down from normal. <laughs> it's not Milwaukee. Or, yeah. But, but to, to your point, it compensated by, look, um, I understood that even the security guys who we know do such a great job there at the venue, they were overworking out at Jim Jones with Lisa right. Bouchard, right? Because they had so many connections and, and, and there's such credibility when it comes to the fight game here. The other thing that you were instrumental in was actually helping get a lot of the fighters placed in the right gyms because there was reach out from their camps and from the UFC saying, hey, look, we haven't been here in Salt Lake in a long time. Can you really help us get and, and talk about that a little bit? Cause there, and then some of the fighters acclimating to elevation, elevation change because right. we are at about 5,000 feet and you have a lot of fighters coming from sea level. We anticipate most all fighters will come in the week before. They'll stay either in hotels or Airbnbs as it goes. But then the gyms, and particularly, they want MMA gyms. Yep. So your gym, Jeremy Horn's gym, uh, we've we've got a great portfolio of MMA gyms in the state of Utah. They're going to use those. They'll they'll reach out to those groups to have their private training. Um, and all of the gyms are welcoming to incoming uh, fighters, absolutely. of course. So. Including yours. Yeah, you, including you, mine. I, I think you've got And I'm about 40 minutes from the venue, but... You know, it's like I will make my gym available for anybody who wants to come in and Jeremy, Josh, they've all yeah. offered yep. their facilities. Yep. Jim Jones. Ro Rockwell, of course, has got a great yep. facility. Ramsey Nijum. Well. Ramsey. The pit. SLC. The pit's awesome. The, um, it's a real christening moment, too, for a gym. If, to have a trainer in a UFC fight come be in your gym, bring that energy. Um, sometimes they'll allow you know, people there training as well to watch, yeah, participate to some degree. Inspire the kids. Like, yeah, it's a, yep. it's a Abs absolutely big deal. Powerful tool. Well, we've heard from Justin, though, sometimes they want to go in there and train during the hour that they're actually going to be fighting. So yep. it ends up being late night. Yeah, that yep. was an interesting, yep. you know, yeah. again, preparation yep. um, technique. It's a smart tactical move. It's just to get your body acclimated yeah, to, to that, that time. Because sometimes you travel, like if you go to the, the UAE, right, and you fight at 2.30 a.m., then you need to practice at roughly 2.30 a.m. And you, then you're sleeping in the middle of the day, like right. a swing shift. Right. You know, what was interesting, too, and I think it might have been Ali Abdelaziz, who, again, manages so many. He's, the, in my view, the, the preeminent manager when it comes to not just UFC fighters, but fighters all around, a huge stable of, of champions. He said, we have never been treated, our fighters, better in any other city, in anywhere else in the world, you know, and, and each fighter's different. Justin Gaethje, you know what? He's like, you have a couple of F-150s or F-350s come and pick him up. He's good. Kamaru, Kamaru's a little bit more about the presentation. The entourage, so we, we, yes. we had, I think, because you were there, 20 or 30 exotic cars on the runway because ESPN was rolling and we wanted right. to make... ESPN behind the scenes Salt footage Lake, all look good. It was make some models. Uh, downtown Salt Lake was great to uh, yeah. provide us with some Mercedes and Audis just to kind of make that welcome into Utah a we little had bit. Buckley, different. Um, Buckley. From the Lamborghini Bentley dealership and Brian Bowen. Brian Bowen. All, all these cubes. all these guys that rallied around because we do want to show out that Utah yeah. is a is a real fight town. 
Um, and so I'm excited, obviously. Yeah, we're excited. This is uh, We'd love to see this be an annual thing with the UFC to come back every year in some form or fashion. And again, it's a great collective uh, engagement with the venue, the athletic commission, with the sports commission, with the city, the CVB, um, local sponsors, local fighters and gyms. Uh, it, it really showcases the best of Utah when it comes to us hosting events, which we're so good at, um, from the Olympics all the way down to everything we, we do on a convention level. This is It really showcases what Utah, the Utah way is all about. So we're excited to have it back here again. Um, all indications it'll be another sellout. I think with Gaethje here, again, it's going to be home court advantage for him. You'll see a lot of people come over from uh, Colorado. Yeah, but there are a lot of Poirier fans. True, they're, absolutely. They're, yeah. I've, I've got friends uh, from the Southeast coming out to see Poirier. Yeah. Um, very specifically, they want to come see this fight. So it's going to be big. And it... Um, July 29th, you know, coming up here in just a few weeks, uh, and the activities will start on the 28th, the weigh-ins, the press conferences. Um, always, again, a great showcase because it's live from Salt Lake City, right? We're here with UFC 291. Well, so and if it becomes a regular thing, then there's opportunities for short-notice fights for local fighters who, and we have an abundance right. of local fighters that are ready to make it <clears throat> to that next level. Yeah. It, yeah. It, that's the opening we hope, we hope mm -hmm. gets created yep. from a Boxing MMA commission is. It will. We're getting locals that shot. We've got a great amateur and burgeoning, you know, pro circuit here, mm -hmm. but we've got to give them. You know what's the cool shot. to see also is all of the fighters coming in who aren't even active fighters anymore. A lot of the retired former champs like Rashad Evans, they're they're so excited about this event and they know they'll be treated well, so they're excited about the card, but also about coming in early. I think um, we we heard from several. Uh, former, like old school, long time OG champs who are who are coming. I don't want to give all their names out right now, but our partner Bad Bet Media is hosting a pre party at the Grand America in the ballroom from noon to six the day before. So that Friday, a lot of those fighters will come in. So anybody, uh, any of the fighters out there watching, um, you're you're invited. Please please stop by. There'll be swag, customized gifts. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll have to get Dana or Joe Rogan on. Yeah. Um, we'll have to have to <laughs> court to call him to, to, yeah. to come on the, yeah, to come on that would be show. amazing. Um, so this is another big marquee event for, for Utah and Salt Lake city. Yeah. And, uh, this really helps again, the whole fight community really and does. the athletic commission, uh, as our, our job is to really to promote and grow MMA boxing and combat sports in Utah. All right. That's enough about how awesome we are here <laughs> in Utah and how cool this event's going to be. I actually want to break down the event itself, the fighters, the matchups. It's all about the, the styles, right? They say styles make fights. Yep. Court, obviously, we just heard from Gaethje, and he was a, a gentleman, a lot of respect for Diamond Poirier, two former interim lightweight champions. Yep, number three and number two. Nobody that I talk to is unexcited about this they're all like those this is gonna be an absolute war so moving away from that for a second there are a lot of other compelling fights on this card tell us as you go down and we don't have to read through all of them but highlight a couple of those that get you excited as an insider as a as a fellow fighter well one that i'm most excited about is jan blahovich oh, yeah. and alex paeda so it's exciting because they're both former champions in two different weight divisions. Uh, Jan is a big, gnarly, scary, hard puncher, hard kicker. And 
he, you know, he fought my teammate Glover, uh, Texera for the title. And, um, I'm telling you like Alex is going up and we saw Izzy go up and the match was a little bit off the size difference, but Alex is a big, big guy. I mean, you see these pictures over and over on social media and on media that, uh, oh man, he's 230 and he's bigger than everybody. And I mean, Sean Strickland's a big guy. I fought Sean Strickland. He's a big, tall guy. I fought him at 170, not 185, but it's kind of like you look at him next to Alex and you're like, oh, that's a light heavyweight. <laughs> he's yeah. he's a big, big guy. Yeah, Alex is a big guy, right? Because yep. you saw that in the Izzy fight. Now, yep. now, Israel beat him to to take back his title. To take back the title. But Alex is... Is, is a great, big... Yeah, and, and you know, you, you never know what's going to happen until the fight's done. But him going up, uh, fighting at light heavyweight, I think is great. I think uh, the weight cut to 185 is probably super challenging. I mean, you see the sucked up pitchers. And, and, and I, cut, I cut weight, and I've done it, you know, 25 times in the UFC. So it's like, I, I know the feeling, but him going up to this light heavyweight, you know, is that going to play into, you know... I mean, it's just, it's an exciting fight. So I'm really excited for that fight. Let me ask you this, though, before you pivot to another one. If you're Jan, and I think they pronounce his name Wachowicz, looked like a, with a W, or Wachowicz. Wachowicz. If you're that, that guy, former champ, and everybody keeps trying to creep up into your division. So you mentioned Izzy came up and Yehovich kind of said not here and maybe that was catch weight I don't know but I think Izzy tried to come up and he said go back to your division Luke Rockhold mm-hmm. uh, came up and Yehovich broke his jaw like he n- knocked him silly yeah and kind of sent him back down to the division if you hear Yehovich are, are you a little bit offended that all these guys keep trying to I don't know up? I think he would get dry from that and motivation <laughs> like okay keep sending them up you know I'll I'm, show them re- sure what does. a real light heavyweight yeah. is all about and that's that's the thing is he is dangerous and what I noticed too is like it's uh heavy punchers like you can expect a heavy puncher so you you can set heavy punchers up by shooting shots and you can uh you know lots of volume to get them to throw and miss and when you get somebody who's a heavy puncher a heavy kicker and moves forward they're they're really dangerous and if they're challenging to take down and you know it's just like that's a scary that is a scary fight that is a oh man that's a scary fight because even yeah, if you block a from kick, you, the crusher, you're like, Man, yeah, I, and like I can, I, can, I'm willing to fight anybody, you know. And it's just like, and I, I love the preparation. I love being two minutes and forty seconds into the fight, and it's just me and you now, and now I get to figure out how to beat you. But when you have somebody that doesn't slow down, keeps moving forward, has a gas tank, and kicks and punches like a, you know, like a steamroller, it's like that's a scary night. The Polish power. Yeah, and he's hungry to get his belt back, right? Because yeah, and he's hungry to get his belt back, and that's number one, number two, or number three, number one is their rankings. Yeah, you know, so, so pretty much whoever wins this likely goes. Uh, yes, well, yeah. will make the the title fight. Yeah, that super exciting. That sounds like a great a great fight. Um, what else? As you look down the card. Whether main card or undercard. I'm excited to see uh, Tony Ferguson. We haven't seen Tony Ferguson for a while. And he's kind of been a fire plug uh, his entire career. Also, former Ultimate Fighter winner. So I've got a lot. Uh, yeah, I've got a love for him. 
the yep. fraternity. And I know Tony. He fought. He fought a, a Utah local. He fought. Um, he fought uh, Ramsey Nijam in the finals to win the Ultimate Fighter. And uh, so I followed his entire career. And another UVU wrestler that I hired off the UVU wrestling team, Brock Jardine, fought Tony Ferguson outside of the UFC at 170 pounds in a welterweight fight. Is it fair to say about Tony, and I don't mean this with any disrespect. In fact, it is a, to me, it's a, it's a, it's a sign of respect because he is such a, a warrior and a fighter. He's been around. He's been a contender forever. Mm-hmm. And there are lots of reasons why championship matches get made or or or, or, or not made. Yep. It feels like he should have already been a champ or fought for more championships along the way. Could he be in that category of, you know, best fighters without a championship or championship shot? That's the question because a lot of people say, "Hey, he's he's five and zero. Hell, hey, he's six and zero. And there's a few guys at the time who had four and five wins put together that fought for the title. Now, now he's seven and zero. Now he's eight and zero. How many ever he went? I think he went like eight or nine and zero and going against top level competitors so the question is oh has he lost that whatever you need to i want to go for the title and i don't think he's ever lost that i don't i think he walks around all day thinking i'm going for the title and the thing with him is he's dangerous everywhere and he does crazy shit so it's like he'll throw spinning back elbows and then do a cartwheel into a shot and so it's like, how do you prepare for that? Well, you just got to buckle up and be ready to fight everywhere. And he's dangerous everywhere, man. He's got taken down and scrambled and threw knees and elbows while he was on the ground on bottom. I've never seen anybody throw a knee to the body from bottom, except for from Tony Ferguson. So that's what you can look for. And that's exciting. That's exciting to me. Plus, I've got a lot of love for him because he's an Ultimate Fighter winner. Yeah, I know. I know you guys are... He got a special little bond there. But I think you're right, too. He does have that same mentality. He's like, I don't care. doesn't matter whether I'm fighting for a title or mm-hmm. uh, on an undercard. I'm, uh, I'm locked in. And if, if he ever gets to that point where he's feeling like, man, maybe I, I ought to hang it up. But maybe he should talk to a guy like Glover Teixeira, right? Because people were like, that dude's a fossil. Why is he still fighting? And then... Uh, yeah, at 41 or 42, Jan, he's fighting for the title. He wins. Yeah. Right? Takes the title from yep. Bohovic, who, who seemed um, you know maybe unbeatable back then. So you like Ferguson. Who, I love Ferguson. Who's he fighting right he's now? He's fighting uh, Bobby Green. Okay. Which, who's dangerous. Yep. He's got lightning in his hands. He's explosive. Um, you know, and so that's an exciting fight. That is an exciting fight for the fans. It's an exciting fight. Um, I'm more excited just because I have a lot of love for Tony. And he's a 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu guy. And so, he, man, he pulls out great Jiu-Jitsu technique. And, you know, he's like, uh, man, I, I think he had like four or five uh, Dars or an, and or Anaconda finishes. Really? You know, yes. which it, off of strikes and takedown, sometimes them taking him. So it's like exci- it's exciting and he's dangerous. And Bobby Green is explosive and brings it every time he fights. So I, I'm excited for that one. Can you tell the fans what a Darce choke is? Just, I mean, so they, um, so it's, it's under rare. the armpit to the neck. Yeah. That's the Darce. So a lot of times when you're on bottom and you have an underhook, uh, they will attack the Darce choke. So if you don't drop to a single leg or get rid of that or shut down this pinching motion, they uh, lock their hands and it's difficult. You have to roll through. You have to get rid of their elbow. There, there's a lot of technique in getting out of that. But when you do get out of that, you're still on bottom. And, 
you know, there's a few guys that have world-class jujitsu when they're on bottom, they're really dangerous. But in general, when you're on bottom, you're losing. I love that stuff, man. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for yeah. great, great insights. And I was going to say, you know, last year's UFC, one of the best undercard bouts pound for pound that, that I've ever seen. I think this is even a better lineup than we had last year. So from a fan perspective, uh, you've got a lot to come and see, uh, whether you're getting the pay-per-view or you're live here in, in Salt Lake City. It, it's an amazing 12-fight card that we've Oh, yeah, come. start to finish. Yeah. And Throw out a couple more names, because I remember you said um, there were... So uh, I really like Stephen Thompson. I, Wonder Boy. Yeah, Wonder Boy. Mm -hmm. I come from... Uh, and, and not a lot of people know, but I come from a traditional karate background. Oh, so course, I started so. in karate and then went into wrestling. But I started with a... You know, it's Shintoshi karate, but it was basically a Taekwondo, you know, katas, one steps. And so him coming in as a karate fighter, but a lot of, you know, a lot uh, early on, you know, a lot of people knew that he had 60 or 70 professional kickboxing matches. So it wasn't, oh, he's just a karate guy. This is a karate guy that can land shots, but his traditional karate stance has always thrown people off. But then he goes and catches, a, you know, like a, a reaper, right? Yeah. And knocks out Robert Whitaker yeah. with a head kick from an open stance, which is incredible because very few people land head kicks on Robert Whitaker. So that's exciting. He's Karate, fighting Michael uh, Pereira Utah or Michelle. A, Utah has a, a long lineage again of a lot of karate history. Yeah. Even people like Ed Parker from Kempo, yep. was one of the pioneers and really popularized. Yep. And we have a bit of that. I mean, we have we have taekwondo. We ha I mean, we have a pretty good martial arts background. And then boxing from the Fulmers. You know, it's okay. like. And then with Mike Stidham's Ultimate Combat experience. Yeah. So we had one of the longest running MMA shows. Mm -hmm. So as far as am and I might be wrong, but I think you had to fight professionally when it first started. But you're talking about a fight every week. And I mean, up until recently, I think they had more fights on the ultimate combat experience, MMA. So you had guys with 30 and 40 fights. Like my first four or five fights, uh, I fought guys that had 20, 30, and 40 fights. Because they fought weekly. Guys like Hank Weiss, you know, he fought every week. Just tough. You know, he wrestled for Mark Schultz. He had yeah. that Mark Schultz mentality. <laughs> yep, I'll show up and fight, you know, and comes out there and just, like, just wrecking people. And then a lot of those guys, too, you know, some of them made it to the UFC. Some of them made it to Bellator. And with Jeremy Horn coming in and uh, guys like Rob Hanley, who just celebrated 20 years having a mixed martial arts gym, not a right. boxing gym, not a jiu-jitsu gym, not a strength and conditioning a true gym. MMA. A true MMA gym. And... You know, 20 years ago, you had Jeremy Horn and you had him. Yeah. So you had very few. And then you had 25th Street Gym. You had one or two guys that were teaching jujitsu. Pedro Sauer came in. So I that was think my in, sensei, Pedro. Right? Yeah, that was in, in the late 80s. Um, but when, when, and his early students were guys like Mark Schultz. Yeah, So, so Coach exactly. was one of the first guys I ever supported. You know, and my dad was a martial artist. I thought, oh, what is this Brazilian stuff? Well, I mean, he, he taught me really quickly. And then guys like Walt Bayless um, kind of yep. broke off from that. And, and yep. amazing. Uh, and a lot of people don't know, but we have a mecca of jujitsu. And maybe they do know. Um, but with Pedro coming in in the late 80s, early 90s, you know, that's one of the first jujitsu black belts. It was, like simultane it was simultaneous with the California yes. um, Gracie gyms that were open 
opening yep. up. That that gym that that Pedro opened up was technically a Hickson Gracie gym. Mm -hmm. And so Hickson came out several times. And yeah. At the time, I'm like, you know, I didn't realize the historic kind of value of yeah, that no yeah, no like, oh, and now cool. with lineage and and that is a big sport you know having a gracie black belt having a pedro sour black belt which i am a, a pedro sour black belt dane aristizabal uh, graduated me to black belt um and i had the time about eight or nine years ago but as of about a year ago i received my jiu-jitsu black belt my brazilian jiu-jitsu oh, black belt I didn't realize yeah and so but i had the time i just focused more on no gi or focused more on the MMA. But, you know, outside of that, we have a great community, but I think the humility in our community is a downfall in presentation and hyping fights up because a lot of us, you know, are, I mean, you look at like our heavyweights, like Billy Zumbrum. That dude lost a 10 round decision to Riddick Bow, a close 10 round decision to Riddick Bow, and he was a heavyweight. And I boxed as an amateur and a professional. I was supposed to fight Billy Zembrum, <laughs> you know, for my first professional boxing match. Thank goodness that didn't happen. But, uh, you know, it's the, the boxing community is here. The MMA community is here. But now getting the UFC here is going to bring that to a whole new light. Yeah. And, and I think that's the role that um, Commissioner Deaver and his colleagues have done so well, right? Oh, is to yeah. be the ones who promote this. Absolutely. Put us out, not just nationally, but globally, because it's a it's such a global sport, as Justin said, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna... to... And then having somebody in local politics <laughs> being behind us. Absolutely. That is a huge, yeah, man, who huge could that be? thing. I, say, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to name anybody, but... Yeah. Although I, 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 okay. Next fight. Okay. Before you go there, uh, one thing, cause people, uh, we don't talk politics on the show, but someone said we would save a lot of money in politics, like the hundreds of millions of dollars that are spent campaigning. Instead of doing all that, why don't you just put the candidates in a steel cage or an octagon and just settle it that way and, and i have to say i'm musk up for that versus like, zuckerberg okay. right <laughs> musk yeah. and okay, we got to talk about that sometimes because yeah. i know both yeah. of them and zuck actually has skills I, i'm not sure zuckerberg does zuck does dude he's he's won um, multiple um jits like like not just local tournaments like national wow. tournaments he's uh he's 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 like yeah, and he's he runs stuff like the Legit. tough motors. Huh. Elon's a tough guy. Elon's got a lot of grit. I'm not sure. I don't know what his skill set is. He's a much taller, probably bigger guy than I know. He's guy. training with George St. Pierre. Is he GS? He's is got GSP. I think so. Okay. Well, I hmm. again. I, so know. that's exciting. Let's yeah. Bring, I mean, let, have let's bring, guys, let's bring them on. Yeah. Let's let's uh, you know I'll throw the invite out. I'm sure they're not yeah. gonna <laughs> yeah. come on, but um, uh, it's that would be the fun. The Coliseum though. is what Elon teased last, although the Italian government's saying oh, no violence in the Coliseum. But yeah, right here in Utah, let's let's host them. We'll, Silicon yeah. slopes, right? yeah, Silicon yeah. Slopes. Yeah. Okay. So last fight you said you you like okay. one of the uh, guys that, Michael Chiesa another, and Kevin Holland. Michael Chiesa also another ultimate fighter. Another ultimate. And I uh, man, yeah. I've uh, I've met him a couple of times. We've kind of we've crossed paths a couple of finds uh, times Mo most of the time it has been at fights or events. Um but I remember after he won the ultimate fighter, he had lost his dad during the season and he chose to stay on, which um you know, is like, uh, it's one of those things, like he was committed to be in here. And then I remember, uh, 
I think it was his very first fight after he won the Ultimate Fighter. And I fought that night, and I don't remember where we were fighting or what the fight was, but he came up to me, and he was like, man, I love your beard. I'm a huge fan, you know, and uh, uh, and I watched him fight, and he was just like, I'm just so excited to be here. And, and I was a little bit nervous because he was, like, nervous talking and, like, really excited to meet all the fighters. And I, and I have seen that before where they go out and they have utilized all their energy and they don't have much left in the fight. And he came out and gave it his all and he gives it his all every time. And I'm excited for this fight specifically because Kevin Holland is a big explosive guy. He's willing to take any fight. He's willing to fight anybody. And then, you know, it's like, he's really dangerous. He fought uh Jacare Souza. Oh right? yeah. And he knocked him out from Jacare. bottom. Which is, yeah. that's the guy you don't want on top. That's the guy you don't want on bottom. Uh, he's arguably one of the best jiu-jitsu players ever to compete in MMA. And then Kevin Holland catches him from bottom with a hammer fist or some sort of hammer strike or hammer blow from bottom. And so it shows, okay, hey, this guy's dangerous from everywhere. I remember f watching Jacare in Florida at one of your fights. Yeah. Um, a, little, a few years a few years back. So you like this Kiesa fight, not just because the dude thought your beard was bussing because it's actually not good just because yeah, he <laughs> thought my beard was awesome, but <laughs> I like him because he's an ultimate fighter winner, but also too, he is a phenomenal grappler. So, and you know, I'm excited because, uh, you know, it's like, Kevin Holland has rose to the occasion. He fought uh, Tim Means, who is a gritty veteran like me. He's been in the UFC for, you know, over a decade, has 20 plus fights, you know, and for uh, the UFC in general, the average career length of UFC fighters, 1.9 years is that all? and three fights. Wow. And so when you see a guy with five, 10 fights, it's like, okay, well, this guy's got something, you know? And then when you see somebody who's been fighting for 10 plus years, yeah. what do they have? Is what that a, when you get the gritty veteran status? Is it about I, that? It must, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I think so. Maybe, maybe How it's many a decade. fights do you have? So uh, 25 uh, with the four fights that I had in the Ultimate Fighter. But three of those guys had, t you know, 10-plus fight careers, and a couple of them had 10-year-plus careers. It, and, and how, Brad, and how many fights did you have before you made UFC? I was 11-1. and one. I had one loss to the legend, Jeremy Horn. I lost a decision to him at the Delta Center. Oh, and that was yep. when in you were still doing like World Series stuff. Also, no, no, no. Oh, it was before. It was, it, was, it was before. Yeah, I'd only had, I believe, five fights. Mm. Hmm. So I had uh, two professional boxing matches, about ten amateur boxing matches, and like forty competition jujitsu matches. And then I took the fight with Jeremy Horn. But I was eleven and one going in, and uh, yeah, I won the Ultimate Fighter. That was June nineteenth, two thousand ten, and then I was fighting, you know, it was probably my eighth or ninth fight and Michael Chiesa came in and he was excited and he went out and he has just continued to get better. And he's upset so many people. He's come up to 170. And I remember a lot of people were like, well, there's no way he's going to make it at 170. And he's a big lengthy dude and he's pretty good everywhere. Mm -hmm. So I'm excited for this fight. You know, can, can Michael Chiesa, can he move around? Can he take him down and can he submit him? That's, that's great. It's exciting. You, you were, um, the champ of the Ultimate Fighter was it season, season. eleven? Mm -hmm. Okay, and then just so that um, those listeners and viewers know, I call you champ because you you were the champ of that um, that season, and and um, you're also a champ in life and in so many other ways too. And I have mad respect for you. But just so everybody uh, you know understands the reference, that's what I'm talking about. 
Well, guys, I think we're going to be wrapping up this uh, segment. Uh, awesome um, having JG on. Um, any any last thoughts before um, we, we wrap today? Great interview with JG. Looking forward to seeing him and the whole uh, fight series that's coming in here in just a few weeks. Uh, Court, your insights are always phenomenal, spot on, exactly uh, what we want to hear and what the fans want to hear. So uh, thank you for being here with us. And yeah, my pleasure. Going to look forward to, to more insights as the fights keep coming. Okay. Uh, we, we know Court's here because he's providing all of that inside stuff. I, I'm here because I'm paying for the podcast. Um, no, and you're – and. Commissioner Deaver, by the way, is the only single one of the three of us. So um, all you lady viewers out there. All two of them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we know, <laughs> they're we probably, know, they're we know why he's here yeah. um, doing yeah. the show. Uh, but thanks all. Uh, beat down. Um, beat down. Team beat down. It's a wrap. It's a wrap. That's a wrap. 